Now we get to the sequel of that story from Mark. Uh, as we continue in Mark 7, actually finish uh, Mark 7 today. Beginning in verse 31. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and, and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers in his ears and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed. And he said to him, Ephathra, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we are weary people. Uh, Many of us are weary of spending far too much time in our homes. Uh, We are weary of social distancing and the effects that it has on our lives that are uh, negative consequences of it. We're weary of bad news uh, on the Internet and on the TV and on the radio and everywhere we go. We're weary of the disputes over what to do next. We're just plain weary. Father, help us to see the majesty and the glory of Jesus this morning. In this text, help us to see uh, his immense compassion, uh, but a powerful compassion. Help us to see uh, that Jesus is one uh, that we can entrust our misery to. That he help us to see that he cares and he acts. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, yesterday was uh, a good day in our house, and part of the reason why is that we celebrated Eli's birthday. And um, I, I'm always, I guess, amazed when it gets to Eli's birthday because I see how far he's come. And uh, Eli was born in China. Uh, For those of you who uh, don't know, which might be lots of you out there in the world wide web, uh, but Eli was born with a cleft lip and cleft palate. And the very first picture we saw of Eli, you could tell because his lip had not yet been repaired, but there was something about Eli that caught my eye, and that thing was his eyes. Uh, for a child that you might think would be downcast. And I looked at plenty of pictures of other children that we could have possibly adopted because we were uh, looking at special needs children. And so many of them had a downcast look upon them, but not this kid. His eyes were alive. And I knew, that's my boy. So... We were delighted to see uh, in a follow-up picture uh, that his lip had been repaired, but we were sort of not sure what to expect. We had brought the paperwork to our pediatrician at the time, and, and he let him look over the, the medical report, which yesterday I found in my office because I was throwing things away, <laughs> a long overdue task. Uh, but he said, don't believe a word of this. 
He said, this says that he hasn't had any ear infections, and it's almost impossible for a child with cleft lip and palate to not have ear infections. We didn't know what to expect when we brought this young kid home. We had no way to grasp what the way forward would look like and how things would change and how things would be stubborn and not changing. Shortly after uh, we brought him home, uh, you know, we saw a plastic surgeon in Orlando, and Dr. Stieg did the, the first of many surgeries that he would undergo. And we began the process of connecting with the cleft team in the area to get uh, the speech therapy that he needed. Now, I don't know about you, but if, if you tried to do speech therapy with a two-year-old, <laughs> it's probably not going to be very effective. He's wiggly. He's not really paying attention. He doesn't know what in the world's going on. And yet, at the end of a couple of sessions, the speech therapist said these words to Amy and me. No one will ever understand him. You'd better teach him sign language. We sighed. We groaned. Does God sigh? Does God groan? This text will teach us that he does. But what should you do if you do have some measure of hope for change? And we see this in verses 31 and 32. And we see it initially in the fact that Jesus didn't stay in Tyre, which of course is Gentile territory. And if we go to the map, uh, we see that it is to the northwest of Galilee. And Jesus, it says here, traveled north It doesn't say north, but it is north, about 20 miles to Sidon, which seems to be the wrong direction altogether. Uh, But then he goes back east, swings around Galilee, and comes down on the west, uh, sorry, the east side of the Sea of Galilee, and we find that he ends up in the region of the Decapolis. He's avoiding Galilee at this point in time. He's gone to the other side, and as we've seen before, the Decapolis is a largely Gentile region. There were some pockets of of Jews that had moved across the sea, so to speak, and had settled settled there, but it was largely Gentile. And we are to understand from this that Jesus' ministry in that place is going to be predominantly to Gentiles, the very people that the Pharisees considered to be unclean. And so Jesus continues this ministry to the unclean people, the Gentiles. Mark seems to uh, explain this in a parallel way to how he summarizes Jesus's ministry in Galilee amongst a predominantly Jewish audience. We see similar stories being told as he summarizes the ministry that was there. And so we're to understand that the ministry of Jesus among the Gentiles was pretty much the same as his ministry amongst the Jews. He didn't treat them differently. And so, since Mark is writing to a predominantly Gentile audience, they were to understand that Jesus treats them as he treats these Gentiles, which is the same as he treats those Jews. There was no distinction between them. The Romans, of course, 
focus on actions, not so much on speeches and teaching. And so we have very little of the teaching of Jesus at this point in time. It talks about the fact that Jesus was proclaiming and that others were, were heralds of the message, but it, it often doesn't talk about that. Mark summarizes it with regard to action. And, and he's communicating the truth through the actions that take place. So, Mark talks about some action. And while Jesus is near the Decapolis, they, this unknown group of people, they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. I say this is the sequel because uh, most likely they've heard about him through the, the proclamation of what Jesus did to the man who had the demons known as legion. The reputation of Jesus in the Decapolis exists because of what happened that day when the demons were cast out and the pigs jumped over the cliff into the sea. People had faith that Jesus could do something about these problems, and they acted on their faith, and we're to understand that proper faith always results in action, a course of action in line with that faith. Now, this man, he could not hear, but it speaks oddly about his speech impediment, meaning he could speak, which indicates that at some point he could hear, because if you can't hear, you don't learn how to speak. But there's still some problem, both in his hearing and his speaking now. Something's gone wrong, and the scriptures don't tell us exactly what it is. But imagine for a moment being unable to hear your friends explain to you why they're dragging you into the wilderness, and you don't know where, and you don't know why. Put yourself in his shoes for a moment. He can't hear their explanations. We have no idea if he can read or write. Most people then uh, didn't read or write. And so he's a very confused man being overwhelmed by this situation as he is brought by his friends and he has to essentially trust his friends because he doesn't know what's going on. He's confused and he's likely frightened. And I thought of my son, who likely very early on with all of this stuff, probably until he was 10, was very confused and very frightened. Because I would bring him to these hospitals, and he would not know what was going to happen. And he didn't probably understand why it was going to happen. And so you have this man who's overwhelmed who's scared, but is about to find relief. How is it that this man is deaf? How is it that this man has this speech impediment? And I think it's important for us to go back to Moses. And uh, when, I, when I first got a call to a church, I was reading this part of Exodus. And so it felt pertinent to me because I'd 
now, you know, it's one thing to want a call to church, and it's another thing to actually get one, because then all the fears start rising. And so I started to have some of the similar complaints that Moses had. And Moses's one of his complaints was, well, I don't speak very well. And God replied to him, who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now, therefore, go, and I will be your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. His speech impediment was not supposed to be a problem. God would deal with it. But we see here in the midst of this, deafness is not accidental. Muteness, blindness, all of these things are not accidental. God says a hard word to Moses in the midst of this. It is God who is at work, and God who is at work to reveal the power of Jesus through this man's deafness, through this man's inability or struggle to speak. We see that they dragged this man to Jesus, and then they begged him to lay his hand upon him. This is not a polite request. This is not, would you please pass me the butter? or the salt and pepper, something like that. This is begging. Uh, this is like the mother in Tyre. Uh, they're probably close to being on their faces before him. See their love for their friend in the midst of this? How desperately they want him to be healed in the midst of this? Followers of Jesus. Now, these men aren't followers yet, but what we should understand by this is that followers of Jesus continue to bring people in need to Jesus. Now, we cannot physically bring them to Jesus, but we can bring them now through prayer. We can continue to intercede for them, bringing them to the throne of grace where Jesus sits. And really, prayer reveals uh, who you care for and what you care about. Prayer exhibits faith that you believe things can change. When Amy and I heard the words of this speech therapist, we groaned, but that's not all we did. We fired him. We believed that that, that is not what God had for our son. We believed that, that there could be Significant change for this kid's life, and we didn't want to sentence him to a life of limitations. We wanted to see what limitations God would produce for him in the future. And so we began to work for his behalf, or continue to work for his behalf, instead of giving up. And so every time he came to a surgery, we'd pray. And so often I would be um, broken because my boy was broken. And so there, were, there was urgency to prayers in those moments, and, and I'm sure there was much urgency to Amy's prayers most of the time because she is the prayer warrior amongst us, not me. But do we believe that God can change circumstances? Do we believe that God can change people's health? Do we believe we're at the mercy of something called COVID-19? Or do we believe that God is more powerful? And if we do believe God is more powerful, we ought to be praying people in the midst of this.
And faith brings needy people to Jesus, whether it's in person or whether it's in prayer. Will these men find relief for their friend? Will we find relief for our friends and for our loved ones? And this text addresses this in verses 33 through 35. Jesus takes the man aside privately. It's interesting when you think about that. I mean, they're sort of in a crowd, and Jesus has done this before, but Jesus does not want this to be a spectacle. This is, Jesus is not Benny Hinn or any of the other televangelists that you might see, who wants the, the sound and the fury, who wants the spectacle, who wants to be seen. Jesus brings this man aside, this man who is overwhelmed by what's going on, who doesn't really understand what's going on. Remember, he can't hear the people talk about the greatness of Jesus. He has no idea who this guy is. Jesus is sensitive to the needs of this emotionally overwhelmed man and kind of somehow creates a a, a quiet moment, a, a private moment. I don't know how he did this in the midst of the crowds, but he does. And then we see that he put his fingers in the man's ears. He spit on his fingers and put it on the man's tongue. He's he's touching this man physically. Uh, There were no social distancing rules at this point in time. But remember, he's touching an unclean man. And he's touching him with spit, which would be considered unclean as well. How are we to understand this? Because this is uh, strange to us. It's you know we we just had the healing or the, the the exorcism by distance. Jesus didn't wasn't even in the same room, wasn't in the same house. It just happened. And but here we see an emphasis on physical touch taking place. Jesus could have just gone done, but he doesn't. Now, the Hellenistic magicians uh, would use similar techniques, particularly with the ears, to create passages for the demons to escape. It sounds strange to us, um, and it's wrong as well. Okay, Uh, This is not what Jesus is doing. He's not uh, creating a channel uh, for the demons to escape from him because there are, from what we can tell, no demons. But what Jesus is communicating in a way that this man can understand is that he is about to deal with his ears. He's going to open them. He's going to pierce them. And he's going to loosen that man's tongue. He's communicating in a way that this man can understand that he is going to deal with his maladies. He's communicating the compassion of God. A compassion that we read about in many places in Scripture, but I want to bring up one in particular, 2 Kings 13. Now, Hazael, king of Syria, oppressed Israel all the days of Jehoahaz. That doesn't sound like the compassion of God now, does it? Israel had been rebellious 
And that is why they were being oppressed, just like we see often in the book of Judges. Um, But it doesn't end with the oppression at the hands of Hazael. But the Lord was gracious to them and had compassion on them, and he turned toward them. Keep in mind that priestly blessing. May his face shine upon you. You know, he'd be turned toward you. Because before, he was turned away. While they were oppressed, he was turned away. And now, he's turned back towards them. Why does he do this? Because of his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and would not destroy them, nor has he cast them from his presence until now. And so, while God did discipline Israel in order to wake Israel up from its slumber, he did not cast them away, he did not destroy them, but in fact he then turns toward them again, shows grace to them, and has compassion upon them. This man has has probably felt that God had turned his back on him. But now, in the person of Jesus, God is turning toward him and is about to have compassion upon him. Looking up to heaven, okay, the, you know, indicating the power is going to be from heaven, Jesus sighed. Jesus is indicating here that he's, he's no magician, but he's, he is dependent upon the Spirit in his earthly ministry. But he sighed, or another way this word can be translated is groaned. But he, he let out this bunch of air of exasperation, expressing his own weariness resulting from the misery of the people around him. He's expressing his, his misery, his frustration, sorry, his, uh, his weariness or frustration with the weariness of the sin that, yeah, I can't speak today, the misery that Adam's sin brought. There we go. That's what I'm trying to spit out. See, I've got a speech problem this morning. But may Jesus make it clear to you, nonetheless. We see in places like Lamentations 3, the Lord does, will not cast off forever. But though he caused grief, okay, again, that reality. We don't expect all sunshine and rainbows with Jesus. Uh, Though he caused grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love, for he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men. And so when you suffer, it's not because God is a, a sadist and trying to torture you. God has better purposes in mind. These are things that are necessary for the good of our souls. He does not afflict us from his heart, meaning he does not hate us. But Jesus doesn't just sigh. Jesus said to him, he can't hear. (laughs) But still, Jesus says to him, Ephatha, I hope I got that Aramaic word right. That is, be opened. Mark is writing to all of these Romans who don't speak Aramaic, and so he translates it for them in in the Koine Greek. And so what we want to understand here is that Jesus is not sighing with resignation. What I mean is this. Uh, 
my daughter has been complaining about our Wi-Fi network for months. You know, she spends most of her time in her room because she's a teenager. And she complains about the signal strength and speed up in her room. And so she wore me down. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, we were thinking about getting the, the Google Home thing. And then we found that Amazon has a more affordable version thereof, this kind of uh, mesh network for the house. So it arrived on Friday, and she almost immediately set it up. That's the nice thing about having a teenager. They can start to set things up, because I get frustrated with some of this technological stuff these days. I've crossed the threshold. You know, when, when you hit over 50 sometimes, it's, it's, it's downhill technologically. Uh, it, it's, change is happening so fast that I can't keep up with it anymore. Uh, and that's part because I don't work with it. If I worked with it, it'd probably be a different story. But I'm the guy who's going, what just happened? Well, there was a slight problem, and that problem was that our printer had to be put on the newer network. And whose responsibility was that? Me. There was lots of sighing, <laughs> lots of groaning, as I tried to figure out and that's how I found Eli's medical report. I was looking for the instructions that came with the printer initially so I could see how to set this thing up. And when I put the drivers in my computer, or put the, the CD and the external disk drive and uh, pulled it up on my computer, uh, you know, it, it just talked about downloading drivers. And so I moved on with life and tried to find lots of groaning, useless exasperation and groaning through the midst of it. That's not Jesus. Jesus is not going, how am I going to fix this? What am I going to do? Do I have to call Matt? Uh, all of these sorts of things. I, I, I have, pray for Matt, because Matt gets most of my technological questions when I, when I reach the end of my knowledge and expertise, which is fairly quickly when it comes to these things. Okay, um, So... Uh, if Matt leaves the church, it's probably because I've, I've worn him down. <laughs> he doesn't want to hear any more phone calls from me. Uh, but Jesus is not wondering what he's going to do. Jesus speaks these words. Be opened. Not an incantation. It's a command. And expresses in part his divine authority over the man's ears. The divine authority that we saw in Exodus chapter 4 over these things. And so we see that his ears were opened, his tongue was loosed or released, and he spoke plainly. This is why we believe that he was not deaf from birth because he immediately is able to speak fully healed, fully restored. This is an example of what we find in Psalm 145. The Lord is good to all, and His mercy is over all that He made, not just Jewish people, but Gentiles too. We see this in James 5. Behold and consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job? And you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. 
This man and his friends are learning that the Lord is compassionate, the Lord is merciful, and he's also merciful to Gentiles. Jesus groans with us when we experience the misery produced by Adam's sin and our sometimes our sin, not always our sin. He may use uh, prayer and he may use secondary means as restoration in this point in time. And so Amy and I didn't simply pray for Eli. We did pray, but we didn't leave it at prayer. Oh, we brought him to doctors, and he's, I've lost track of how many surgeries now. It's, it's just, you know, now it's L.A. We go see Dr. McGee in L.A., and what a blessing Dr. McGee has been to us. And um, as they try to create in his mouth what is necessary for him to make the proper sounds to be heard. And we bring him to speech therapy. I never imagined I'd spend so many hours in school lobbies while my son has speech therapy, and yet there I sit. As he unlearns the wrong ways he, he spoke because he was compensating, and as he relearned how to speak properly. That's a lot of work for a kid. And God uses all of those things. And Jesus groans with us over the necessity for such things. And so Jesus sighs for misery that he ultimately heals. What is our proper response to Jesus' compassion? Here's the irony in the text. Jesus charged them to tell no one. We've seen this before. Uh, we didn't see it with the demoniac. He said, go home and tell everybody what the Lord has done for you. Uh, but in this instance, he, he says, don't tell anybody. Zip it. Shh.com. Jesus doesn't want to be known simply as a miracle worker. He wants to be able to teach, to proclaim the message of the kingdom of God not just be surrounded and overwhelmed by people to heal. But the way that Mark expresses this is it's not limited to this guy. It's not limited to his friends, uh, but it seems to be uh, expanded to all the people that Jesus is healing through his ministry near the Decapolis or the Ten Cities. The more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed or heralded. Heralded did. I always get tongue twisted on that one as well. But they're acting as heralds. They're proclaiming this message of, of Jesus who heals. His efforts are, are useless. Precisely because when someone receives compassion, they can't help but speak about it. It's like trying to cap a lively well. It's just not going to work. It says here that they were astonished beyond measure. 
There's no small amount of, a, of amazement that drives them to tell other people about what Jesus has done. And when you are a recipient of the compassion of Christ, it should be as though there is a well within you. Now, His compassions or mercies are new every morning, so there should be new stuff every day that that we have to speak about. Not simply something that happened like for me in 1986. If all I had to talk about was what happened to me in my, in my room in January of 1986, um, I, I would have shut up by now. <laughs> but I've got all of these years of the incredible faithfulness and compassion of Jesus to speak of. And so I speak. And what their message was, he has done all things well, not a few things, It's not a rare instance where he does something well. It's not a rare instance where Jesus healed somebody, but he's doing all of these things. He even makes the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. And there's an allusion here to Isaiah 35, where it's talking about the ministry of Messiah. And part of what it says there is that the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped, then shall the lame leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. And so the ministry of the Messiah on earth was to be accompanied by these miracles that would set people free to be the people God wants them to be. In other words, Mark puts this here so that whether Jew or Gentile read this, they will begin to understand Jesus is the Messiah. The time had come. These things were happening as testimony to the fact that Jesus is the Messiah and that he is a living manifestation of the compassion of God or the compassionate God. He's the incarnation of the compassionate God. These works have accompanied the earthly ministry of Jesus Messiah has arrived. This response is in stark contrast to the scribes and the Pharisees. Uh, uh, They wanted to speak badly of Jesus, uh, but these people are speaking greatly of Jesus. And so uh, faith rejoices in Jesus while unbelief wants to silence Jesus and his followers. I remember reading it in one place um, that John Piper stuttered when he was a kid. And even when he had uh, an internal call to ministry, he wondered if that was going to become an obstacle for him. And as you might realize, if you've listened to any John Piper sermons, it has not become an obstacle to him in his ministry. He wants to talk about the compassion of God to sinners in Jesus Christ. Uh, There's a pastor in town who struggles with the same thing, and yet he speaks of the compassion of Jesus, and people listen and believe. And so we should rejoice 
and God's compassion upon us. That's the proper response. It's not a hard one. It's actually kind of easy. We see the compassion of Jesus yet again. This man who could not hear, this man who struggled to speak, is brought to Jesus who heals him immediately. I see the compassion of Jesus in my life and in the life of my son. When Eli was really young, Jaden spoke for him. She was the Eli whisperer. She spent the most time with him, and, and I think she accurately understood that which she tried to say. Uh, hopefully she wasn't just blowing smoke and just speaking for him, uh, you, know, you know, her will for his, so to speak. Um, but she understood him the best. But over time, and lots of surgeries that created, as I talked about, the physical conditions that were necessary for him to speak properly, lots of speech therapy to unlearn the wrong ways to speak and to learn the right ways to speak. He's grown up with, with me in the midst of all that going, what? I felt so bad for him because so often I'd be going, what? And, and of course, I would often be followed by slower, more clearly. He would groan. I would groan. But what's happening is that my teenager, despite his mumbling as a teenager, is growing in his ability to speak, to be understood, and therefore his confidence to speak for himself. Now I'm just trying to get him to have opinions. (laughs) We'll get there. But what I want you to understand is that speech therapist's dire prognosis has not been a reality. Behind all of it was plenty of prayer, plenty of sighing. And it's not just been my prayer and my sighing, it's been the intercession of Jesus and his groaning as well. We'll see what he does in the future. The other things that we will have to say he has done everything well. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And so our big idea this morning is that Jesus sighs over misery, needing his compassion. So, let's pray. Father, often we are overwhelmed by misery. We see its greatness and we want to give up. Father, on the the basis of, of this text and so many others in Scripture, help us to have faith to cry out. Help us to have the faith that you hear our prayers and that Jesus is with us too, praying groaning, but not in resignation, but in anticipation of what he's going to do. Refresh our weary souls with this picture of our compassionate shepherd that keeps popping up in the Gospel of Mark so that we can 
experience that comfort, that compassion, but also we can speak of that comfort and compassion to others. And Father, help us to bring those people that we love who are suffering to Jesus through prayer. Because we believe that Jesus changes the status quo. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.